episode recap of Grey's Anatomy. We're just two best friends who love Grey's Anatomy. I'm Teresa Rosado. And I'm Megan Totsky. And let's go ahead and get into season two, episode four, Deny, Deny, Deny. Was that three denies? Did I, say? <laughs> I don't know. I lost track after two. <laughs> it felt like I said so many more denies. <laughs> Uh, deny, deny, deny. Did you get a, do you know what song this is? Yeah. I didn't well, I've up. never heard it. Shockinger. Shockinger? Shockingly. <laughs> it's by Brooks and Dunn. Oh. It sounds country as shit. It sounds country. I'm looking forward to hearing it. I don't know. But immediately I was like, is that Rascal Flats? And then I was like, <laughs> no, because Rascal Flats is Rascal Flats. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's their side project. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the Rascal Flats acoustic project? I don't know. One time I went to a rodeo and Rascal Flats was the band that was playing. You know what's really funny about living on the East Coast? Most people I know have not been to a rodeo. Really? Isn't that interesting? <laughs> that is really interesting. <laughs> Like, when I tell people that I have been to many rodeos in my days, they ask, like, what's it like? You've been to, like, like I've been to Mars, you know? Like, which makes sense if you've never been, that it would be exotic. But it's yeah. most common for anybody who lives in, like, New England or along the eastern seaboard to have never been to a rodeo. To just be like, I don't know what this experience is like. <laughs> I've only seen yeah. it in movies. <laughs> Yes. I, you know, I love the rodeo. It's really fucked up. Rodeos are weird places with weird people and a lot of like animal cruelty and weird shit going on. Yes. You know, I'm going to go ahead and say I don't love the rodeo. I went when I was like a, I don't know, a freshman or a sophomore in high school. I went with my first boyfriend who cumulatively, shout out Corey Johnson. I dated him like four years altogether. (laughs) Love that dude. But (laughs) he took me to the rodeo and I remember feeling extremely brown. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I was just like, this is a culture that I don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) And honestly, I was only in it for kissing at the top of the Ferris wheel, which was my whole plan for the night. So I was like, if I have to sit through this white person carnival to get <laughs> to my moment then fine so be it then Wasn't you'll do it fan. yeah <laughs> so so I did it I was like just think that that kiss is on the other side I would hate the rodeo if I were you too based on all of those things I love it because it sort of feels like um did you ever go to the state fair yes and it's I'm actually like I'm going to be in Minnesota next week or at the end of the month and I'm going to the state fair for the second time. Yeah, it reminds me a little of the state fair, right? Where you know that what's happening isn't right, <laughs> but you can't help but be a part of it and watch it and sort of own it. You know, it's like great people watching. Yeah. Anyway. You know that that thing shouldn't be fried, but you're going yes. along with it anyway. <laughs> and you're going to eat it probably. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I feel like I'd have fun with you at a rodeo. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I'm a pretty good time. (laughs) So anyway, I don't even know how we got talking about rodeos. I I also (laughs) really don't know. We're on episode four. Oh, Brooks and Dunn. Here we are, episode four. There's no rodeo. (laughs) There's no rodeo in this episode. (laughs) No. And we have all sorts of weird shit going on in this episode. Yeah. I kind of like this episode overall. Like, it's a, I think it's, you know, relatively interesting patients that are sort of uh, not likable. Yes. You yeah. know, like, I don't think that any of the patients in this episode are particularly likable. I don't I know. Take How do you feel about it? Take a step further and say, I don't think anyone in the show is particularly likable this episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, that's really true. They're all just kind of D bags. Yeah. There are some that's good true. zingers this episode where I'm like, Wow. Excellent one-liners. For the jugular. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. Do you want to, okay. will you maybe do the summary for this? <laughs> yes, I will do the summary because Megan's been doing a little late 20s day drinking. 
Don't tell me how to live my life. <laughs> I would never. Okay. You persuade me. You persuaded me to open a beer at one o'clock on Saturday. See, it didn't. <laughs> dear listener, it. it didn't take much. It took one gentle ask. Yeah. All right. Ready? Yes. Three, two, one, go. Great. So we've got a missionary patient who comes in with an arrhythmia, but she's actually possibly just crazy. We've got Bailey's patient who has cystic fibrosis and she's very emotionally attached to him. Christina Yang is recovering from her surgery and her miscarriage last episode. Derek and Addison are still fighting over the future of their marriage and she serves him divorce papers, which he doesn't sign. And Meredith is really sad throughout this whole episode, but hopeful at the same time. Which is worse. Man, you have an excellent sense of 30 seconds. Thank you. I'm telling you, it's all of the speech and debate practice. Let's talk about Kelpana Vera, okay? Oh my God. Kelpana Vera. Kelpana. Name of villagers in Nepal. Kelpana Vera <laughs> is a white lady. <laughs> I kind of just want to read my notes on her. <laughs> I, you know what? I actually think that that would be a really good use of our time. <laughs> Okay, so Kalpana Vera, whatever, her name is clearly just like Bridget, you know, like it's <laughs> her name is Sarah Elizabeth Vera, like one in four white girls. So she comes in. She's a global traveler and, and she helps needy brown people. And uh, she comes in for an arrhythmia. And these are my notes. I'm just going to read them. I had six bullet points. I'm going to read them in order for you. <laughs> OMG, it's this white lady, and Bailey already is over her, just like me. Second bullet point. Oh, wow, she's the worst. <laughs> Third bullet point. What is this shit she's wearing? <laughs> Fourth bullet point. I guarantee her quote-unquote villagers did not give her that <laughs> name. That's just not ever how it works with white tourists. Bullet point five. Surprised it took me five bullet points to get here. Me too. I fucking hate her. <laughs> bullet point six. The fact that this bitch is actually just crazy is extremely satisfying to me. <laughs> to which my reply was, thank you. <laughs> and those are all my notes on her. <laughs> because that really sums it up. All right. So this bitch comes in and she is... I don't know what the fuck is even wrong with her. She has an arrhythmia. I don't know. She has some yeah, shit Yeah, so she has a ventricular her. arrhythmia. So show she has an irregular heartbeat, basically. And she's, like, going on to everyone about how she's a missionary and her parents raised her globally and these, like, <laughs> village people named her. And it's really, from the moment you first see her, she's insufferable. Like, she's truly awful. And I think that they almost want us to feel badly for her. Yeah, by the end of the episode, they totally do. And I don't. No. You know? Like, it's really, she's has, so she has Munchausen syndrome, which I'm really looking forward to your medical fact of the week about Munchausen. Because I had so much fun. I am so excited for it because I think it's super, (laughs) super fascinating. So I think that they want us to feel badly that she's clearly mentally ill, right? Munchausen's, Munchausen's is a, it's a mental disorder. So I think that, They want us to feel badly for her, but I just can't. Like, her white entitlement is so insufferable. Like, she's just awful. And you get the sense, I think, that that they want you, the writers want you to feel a little bit bad for her at the end of the episode. Well, I guess it's sort of towards the middle when yang is figuring out that she's actually just making up this this issue with the arrhythmia yeah and she says you know she was her her parents went off and were missionaries and were always leaving her and so that's that's got to have like a psychological effect meaning that's why she's asking for all of this attention and someone it might have been izzy says you know we're her family, the doctors who take care of her. She's been in and out of like four or five hospitals. And, mm-hmm. and so they're piecing this together. And, and one of the interns is like, we're her family. We're the ones who take care of her. And I was like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> I just don't. I just don't care about her. But Yang, meanwhile, solves the case. <laughs> in the next room over is like, 
recovering from her DNC, from her ectopic pregnancy, and is just chomping at the bit to get back involved in medicine (laughs) and steals her chart and solves the case in a matter of hours, which is a great moment for Yang. (laughs) You know, like, just really... In really a sad <laughs> moment for the rest of the interns that a bedridden intern <laughs> who like literally just had a pretty serious procedure in the previous episode is the one who solves the case for them. <laughs> Come on, guys. Yep. <laughs> so I don't have much else to say about Kalpana. Yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> and um, yeah, or Sarah Elizabeth. I've, that's all I have to say. About Sorry, Sarah excuse Elizabeth. me, Sarah Elizabeth. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she gave herself the name Kelpana. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she obviously did. Anyway, Jeremiah Tate. <laughs> Jeremiah. Our next victim. Who I He dies. I don't is... know why I did like a rap song <laughs> intro for him. <laughs> <laughs> he does die. And I agree that from the moment you see <laughs> his glistening die. eyes, my cold dead heart is like, oh, he's going to die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You just know that that's what's going to happen. Like, he's not going to make it. (laughs) And I know that we don't like to throw around words like moist, but that's the definition of his eyes. They're very moist. I don't like it. Basically, I want to be sadder about Jeremiah than I am. Yeah, you know, because I, well, I think that part of it is that I think that they push his story pretty hard. You know, like they sort of force it on us to care about him, which automatically to people like you and me makes us not care about him. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I'd be interested to know if other people sort of sympathize with his character more and feel sadder about his death. Yeah. Which yeah, I don't know. I just that's very true. I mean, I'm a person who watches like America's Got Talent and someone goes on and they have the whole pre-performance package and they're like, My mother died when I was eight. And I'm like, That was ten years ago. Are you talented <laughs> or not? <laughs> <laughs> the show isn't about dead moms it's about yeah. singing yes i don't know how many times i've said that out loud to my family and they just look at me like i'm the worst human ever and i'm like this isn't you know the oppression olympics this is america's got talent like can you so- swallow a sword or not that's my favorite thing you've ever said <laughs> so jeremiah tate he's got cystic fibrosis yeah, which is a pretty tragic disease. He's 26 and is sort of mm. on the long end of surviving this disease. My sister-in-law has cystic fibrosis, and she is in her early 40s and is essentially like a miracle to science. Wow. Um, it, but it's, yeah, it's a truly devastating disease. Like, it, it inevitably kills you. So it's it's a really tough disease. And so I think that they sort of combat that toughness of the disease with his overwhelming denial and optimism about his life. Right. So I think that it's, but I don't know. I just, I have a hard time sort of swallowing that. Like I have a hard time. I have a hard time that he doesn't tell his parents. I have a really hard time that Bailey doesn't tell his parents. Mm. Every time I see this episode, I just think that she should have called them. So he has a, a, you know, that he won't call his parents unless he's essentially, you know, coming out of surgery. And I have a really hard time. I don't know. It just, ah. I, I, I don't yeah. know. Do you have that? Do you? Sh- I, I think I saw in your notes. Do you have the same feeling about Bailey in that in that particular case? Yeah, I'm I'm super frustrated by her choice. And I guess kind of his, too, because it feels it feels unbelievable to me that if mm-hmm. someone were in the hospital for a major issue, which any complication of cystic fibrosis, fibrosis is going to be yeah. a major issue, you know, I. I find it really hard to believe that you wouldn't want to notify your loved ones. And I get that he's kind of like, I only want to notify them if if it could be the end. But as someone who lives every single day, like, it could be the end. I just, right. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I don't have any kind of disease. This is just neuroses. I, I just find that really unbelievable. So it could be, you know, I don't know, I guess... Maybe if you have cystic fibrosis and you have complications so often, you become sort of inured to that mm-hmm. and, and you don't want your panic you don't want to panic your parents every single time you know something's up with you health wise. But it feels unbelievable and and unrealistic for both the patient and for Bailey's character, or at least for what we've seen of her character so far. Yeah, she has like a thread of Izzy in this case. You know, where she's, like, too close 
too personal, makes medically compromising decisions, or I guess they're not medically compromising, but sort of professionally compromising decisions on behalf of her patient in a way that we have really only seen from Izzy. And, yes. and I think that's really not super believable from Miranda Bailey's character. You know, and I know that maybe they're trying to bring sort of humanity to her character, but I don't think this is the way to do it. I think that the other ways that they've done this with Bailey have been more effective and, and frankly, genuine and believable. Right. No, I completely agree. I really liked how you pointed out the Izzy comparison because that's, you know, that's putting exactly as fine a point as you could on it, that she's behaving like Izzy. She's not behaving like the medical professional that we know her to be. And I feel like they could have shown her being emotionally invested in this patient by calling the parents herself as he goes into surgery. You know, like that could have been a nice scene instead of having her call the parents at the end of his surgery and telling them that he's he's passed away, that he's died in the procedure. You know, it could have easily been achieved the other way. Yes. And I and it's almost similar to the Kelpana situation of I see what they're trying to do Sarah with Elizabeth. that character. Sorry, excuse me, Sarah Elizabeth. I see what they're trying to do with her of they want us to sympathize with her by the end and they want us to see Bailey's sort of cracks in her character. But I just don't think that was the way to do it. And I don't feel that way. You know, I feel like the way that I am supposed to feel about each of these characters in this episode, the patients and the doctors alike is not was not the intended result. Right. <laughs> you know. No, so. that's a really good point too. <laughs> you know, I don't know if it was actual misdirection or right. <laughs> like, does that say more about me or the writers? Like, I'm not really sure, and I'm not really ready to delve into that. But yes, <laughs> but I don't feel point. super badly that Jeremiah dies. I think that Sarah Elizabeth is absolutely fucking nuts. <laughs> you know, I don't. Let's also talk for one second about. How old is Miranda Bailey? (laughs) Because Jeremiah (laughs) says, I was your first patient. Yes, and she says he's been my patient for five years. What? And he's only 26. I don't know. How old is she? Is she ageless? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe like at Hogwarts, there are four Seattle Grace ghosts, and we found two of them, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Miranda Bailey and Joe. Bar okay. Joe. <laughs> so we just need to find right. Joe's the Hufflepuff, by the way. <laughs> Miranda's the Ravenclaw, clearly. So now we just need to wait and find the Gryffindor and Slytherin ghosts. We're coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, it's not just us, dude. Even on the wiki page, they're like, there, you know, there's a mistake. The the patient says that, you know, or Miranda says he's he's been her patient for five years and that's impossible because she would have been a surgical intern or something at that time. I was like, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Should we talk a little bit about dear Ellis Gray? Oh, yes. <laughs> She's so scary. She's so scary. Give us... Give us the the what for about Ellis Gray. She, okay, so she <laughs> is still recovering. She is still recovering from her liver biopsy, which came back negative. She does not have cancer, but somehow she's still in the hospital three episodes later, which serves as a true villain of the story. She is really, really scary. So she yeah. is uh, has Alzheimer's and is not lucid at all. And so she's, George is still responsible for her, which at this point, I do truly feel like the writers are trolling us. George is stuck with Ellis Gray, which I think is an interesting thing for him to be frustrated about. Like, I get annoyed that George doesn't have any surgical cases because I don't think he's actually a medical professional. But... I think that I get annoyed in this particular episode where it really comes to light just how gifted of a surgeon Ellis is. She, you know, she's, so she's running around the hospital. She keeps escaping from her bed and George can't keep tabs on her because he can't be bothered to do it essentially. And he's not good at his job, but we see her sort of find scrubs miraculously somewhere, which tells me that she was not only not under George's supervision, but under anyone's supervision. <laughs> right. Which is the number of patients who just like escape from their rooms is astounding at Seattle Grace. I mean, yeah, we have two little... in just this episode alone. <laughs> what? <laughs> what is the staff doing at Seattle Grace? 
they're understaffed. <laughs> but I do think that it's interesting that Ellis, we, we see George complain about being stuck with Ellis, who if he could be bothered to actually have a conversation with her as her doctor or as a mentee-mentor relationship, he could be learning a lot. You know, he spends the whole episode bitching about not being on a surgical case, as he did the last episode as well. And you really see sort of like, couldn't you learn something from her, right? Isn't this, I would think that this would be, despite the sort of tragedy of it, would be a really awesome learning opportunity for him. I don't know if you felt that way. I just sort of was thinking about this this opportunity to be with somebody of her caliber in his field. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, he's he's absolutely not taking advantage of a situation that could be pretty beneficial to him. It's It's also hard for me, though, because... I so for once I totally get George's frustration and so my frustration this episode happens to really be with the chief who I think Mm. is failing one of his interns Mm. by consistently pulling him away from any kind of medical practice and this is something that happens you know kind of a lot with the chief and with George specifically and it's a real (laughs) bummer. So, so I was actually more frustrated with with Chief Weber this episode for not listening to George when George is like, I want, I need to practice medicine. This is a non-surgical case, and it is a non-surgical case. There's nothing aside from the Alzheimer's wrong with Ellis Gray this episode. There's nothing wrong with her. She's just chilling in her hospital room for God knows what reason. <laughs> yeah, I think that's interesting, right? I think that what about why does the chief trust George to do that? Why is he calling him out to do that? Is You know, I think that there's sort of a lot of questions there. In term, yeah. And it, of course, becomes clear when we it's revealed in this particular episode that the chief and Ellis have a relationship. He She goes in, they're sort of caught in a scrub room together. She's escaped from her room again, and the chief has found her. And Ellis moves in and kisses him. And it's very <laughs> clear that they have they've had an affair in her, you know, past life. Right. And she thinks that's real time. And I'd forgotten that that is revealed here. And so I think that that adds a layer of what, what is it about, you know, I think that the chief is trying to protect Meredith from this knowledge, obviously. He's, like, very uncomfortable with that. But why does he feel the need to put George in that position? You know, yeah. I don't know. Well, I mean, it could be that he thinks out of all of the interns, George is the least likely to figure it out. <laughs> Which is totally feasible, right? (laughs) He's like the most trustworthy, the most loyal, and the least likely to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you put anyone else on that case and you really run the risk of that secret being found out. And I guess with George, it's it's much safer. But he is he is truly doing George a massive disservice by essentially interrupting his medical schooling, which George, out of anyone, really needs. (laughs) Yeah. To take care of his old mistress. My uh, my blinders are so heavy with George. It's so easy for me to be so frustrated with him. My issue, I think that I said with Ellis, I don't understand, you know, it seems like a huge waste of the hospital's resources to mm-hmm. keep George on to babysit a patient. Yeah. And I feel like dismissing him from the program would be a lot more cost effective. <laughs> so that's kind of my biggest issue here. Budgetary-wise. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and also, you know, it wouldn't be a surgical intern looking after her. It would be a nurse. And right. this just really fits into the show's, you know, sterling legacy of pretending that nurses don't exist. <laughs> which, I mean, even when Tyler comes in and says, you lost her again, which I love Tyler. I love that he's there from the beginning. What a great nurse. But I think that that's... That's really quite accurate. I do want to address your question of were you surprised about the chief and Ellis when you first watched? What do you think? Do you remember? I I don't remember, honestly. I remember being surprised that Derek was married. That was a Mm -hmm. legitimate, like, Mm -hmm. oh, my God, moment for me. I think with Ellis and Richard, I definitely, there were more kind of signs so I don't think I yeah. I don't recall it being a huge shock. Yeah, I, I I have to agree. I think that when we go back a few episodes, when the chief and Meredith, we talked about this a little bit a few weeks ago, but when the chief and Meredith have that sort of interaction about about Derek and Meredith being together and he says, you know, I would tell you what your mother would tell you if she were here. And I think that we've been given clues throughout the first, you know, what are we on the 12th? 
episode. Yeah. We've been given clues throughout the series so far that they have had some sort of relationship that I really think they do a nice job of communicating to us that it was professional, but it was there was something more to it. Whether that's a friendship or more, I think that slowly they've been sort of building to it in a way that I agree they didn't do with Derek, right? There yeah. was a little bit of mystery with him, but certainly not to the not to the degree that that it was revealed later on. And I think the chief is a little bit more like yeah, there was clearly more to this. Right. You know, it's clear that there was more to their relationship. So I think I agree that I wasn't I wasn't surprised when it happened. I was it's like always jarring to see you, you know, I think that what's complicated about it is that it's she's very sick and to see her kiss the chief of surgery who we know is married whose wife we have met oh, is like a jarring yeah, it's a cringeworthy scene. That's exactly right. So I think that that scene is sort of jarring, but overall, I don't think that the relationship itself is a surprise. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think sort of one last, one last sticking point for me with the Ellis Gray storyline is, so I know, I understand that she has Alzheimer's. I get that she's not in her right mind, but I don't, listeners could call her right in. Haha, ha. <laughs> but you could, you guys, you really could. You really could. <laughs> but I don't think that Alzheimer's manifests itself in such like rich sort of delusions. Like her yeah. delusion is so completely fleshed out. I and my so my grandmother on my stepdad's side had had dementia and you know and she she would oftentimes be confused about where she was and would you know maybe talk to someone as though they were someone else but they were never like sustained moments of of delusion or like being out of time you know what I mean like yeah I mean these are these are truly almost hallucinations yeah no I think that I I hadn't thought about it that way but I think that I think that that's right and and I might be misinformed about Alzheimer's but my you know my grandmother has dementia and and that's certainly not not the representation that I've seen either Right. So and maybe that's a, a medical fact of the week or somebody who could write in and let us know if we're if we're misinformed. But I, I think that that's right. I have never I've never seen it portrayed that way. Yeah. Which yeah. doesn't mean it's not true. But I, you know, it seems like for Ellis to be in the hospital for as many days as she has and and see no sort of faltering in this is um, that, you know, almost the most truthful piece of it is when she and the chief kiss yes and she has that moment where she says i don't think i'm supposed to be here yes. that is much more representative of alzheimer's that i personally have been exposed to right so i don't i mean i'm not sure if that's to me that was like the most real moment i guess yeah no I, I completely agree with that i was like yes finally like yeah <laughs> we get yeah. a representation of like the actual confusion you know right i mean Right. Hers hers seems to like manifest almost in like a psychotic break. I mean, it's so yes. she's just so fluent in the dream that she's living in in this past history and that just doesn't really jive with my experience and or understanding of the disease. Right. So. Which weird. yeah, and I because I think that one of the most devastating parts about Alzheimer's is that is that confusion. You know, yeah. is that moment of saying I don't think I'm supposed to be here or where am I or who are you? You know, that she still recognizes Meredith and just is completely unaware of anything else. I don't know. It seems it seems a little bit, I don't know, far reaching to me, I guess. Definitely seems quite dramatized. Yes. Yes. The show. yes. Oh, we've got Christina. She's a patient this week. <laughs> She is. She and is. she's a shitty patient. <laughs> the worst patient. Well, no, that would be Sarah Elizabeth Vera, but right. well, close to the worst. <laughs> Second worst patient, Christine Yang. So she's still recovering from her pregnancy, or I'm sorry, from her, not her pregnancy, from her ectopic pregnancy and her, D, you know, DNC afterward. And she just wants to get back to work. Yeah. She's pissed that she can't get back to work. And so she's researching Sarah Elizabeth's case, solves the case, et cetera. And Izzy comes in and, and tells Christina, by the way, you were right. She did have Munchausen syndrome. She's, you know, she's, she's crazy. <laughs> and it's, she's a, exactly the crazy bitch you thought she was. So good exactly. job. Exactly. And Christina has this 
wonderful display of, you know, Sandra O oh has truly wonderful display of acting. And she says, oh, I was right. I was right. And she loses her fucking <laughs> shit. <laughs> She just breaks down crying and it's an incredible moment. I agree that it's got to be one of my favorite moments of the season is her, I mean, her facial expressions, her Sandra O's, her facial expressions in general when she acts, I think are truly wonderful. And I think she's incredibly talented when it comes to that realm. But this, this, this breakdown is an excellent display of that. I think it rides such a fine, tricky line between being comic and being quite mm-hmm. sad. <laughs> and that's great. That's such a hard line to you yes. know, sort of tightrope. And she, you know, Sandra O oh does it perfectly. She's just full throated sobbing and like yelling at people. And she has this moment where she goes, I will. Regarding her mother. (laughs) We don't do well with mothers here. Why don't you leave and come back later? Oh, it's wonderful. It's so good. And Meredith goes in to like give Christina a hug and Alex and George and Izzy are all there and they're like, don't, don't. She doesn't want to be touched. It makes it worse. It's so great. I just love that breakdown. And her mom is there for this whole episode, just sort of like milling about in the background and just sort of doing hyperbolic mother things where she's just like everyone's mom you know she's like crocheting and then she's picking out upholstery and it's just (laughs) painting painting toenails yeah exactly all of those sort of little bits where you really see you know everyone can picture their mother doing those things right it's just a really it's wonderful she is she is everyone's mother at once she really is and I felt like I felt like the the mother thing just it really made me think about Shonda Rhimes and like her own relation to motherhood because her yeah. depictions of motherhood in this show are troubling Ooh. and like almost uniformly sad, <laughs> traumatic oftentimes. It's like a Disney movie in here. Yeah. <laughs> It's pretty dark. I need to read her like year of yes or something. I don't know if she addresses her childhood, but I need to know how she is with her mother. Yes. Is that a good relationship? I I would maybe say no. (laughs) If I had to bet money money on it, I would say no. Let's talk quickly about um, Burke's role in all of this here. Yes. Okay. So he, yeah. In his butt, eventually. (sighs) We're going to talk about it. So Burke's upset that he didn't know about the pregnancy. He He's frustrated with Christina that she didn't tell him. And he's trying to say that he had a right to know. And I think you had a great question of, of do you know, do we think he had a right to know about the pregnancy, which we can talk about in a minute. But they their sort of arc of their relationship is sort of nice in this episode, I think, where they start off sort of she's pissed at him and says, like, it's over. It's done. Now, you know, it doesn't matter. And he's sort of in and out throughout the whole episode. And at the very end, when she has this inconsolable breakdown, Burke has, you know, comes in and sees that she's crying. And Christina's mom says, she doesn't want to be touched. Please leave her alone. It's the end of the episode. (laughs) And it's the end of Burke's day. And he comes in wearing a turtleneck and a khaki (laughs) suit jacket, which is the worst thing I've seen on this episode since the pilot with Alex and the suede jacket. It's so bad. Just to be Burke clear. Burke really likes it is his, like, awful. earth tone turtlenecks. It's, it's very strange. It's really bad. It's really bad. It's, and the jacket is also oversized and <laughs> in a very 2005, six way. It's just really bad. Anyway, he takes off his jacket and he gets into bed with her. And we have a wonderful shot of <laughs> Burke's butt. It's really a wonderful moment. So it's just, it's, it's just, it's a great butt. <laughs> I am not a butt girl. And so I'm always really interested to like hear from other people about like what makes a good butt mm. or like when they're intrigued by someone's butt. That's just it's just not who I am. I didn't even notice his butt. Oh, you should go I mean, back why and check is it, it out. so great? What do you love well, about his butt? Here's the thing is that men very rarely have great butts. That's Women so true. They have often sad, have great flat butts. Yeah. little rears. Sad, flat butts or, you know, butts that start in places they shouldn't and end where they shouldn't. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's very rare that you see a dude with a good butt. Versus mm-hmm. women have hips, which are totally conducive to excellent asses. Mm-hmm. So... 
Burke is a very Isaiah Washington is a very attractive man, mm. and I think See, that, that the character, yeah, yes, and I think that he's an attractive man. But Preston Burke as a character is an attractive man in his face and his hands. And his confidence, right? All of those things sort of working together. The parts that we see most of Burke are, are very attractive and they work very well together. And so the reason that I think that Burke's butt is wonderful, I think it's got a nice shape, but it's mostly because it's so surprising. You know, like you don't ever expect to see that part of Preston Burke. Mm, the appeal of the <laughs> you surprise know? butt. Exactly, exactly. The surprise butt. And you don't expect to see it in that moment because it's a very uh, sentimental moment. It's a very touchy-feely moment. And then you just see it. And it's just like, oh, <laughs> it's under there. It's been there this whole time. It's just great. It's, it's been there great. this whole time and I didn't even know. Exactly. <laughs> what exactly. else could I be missing out on? <laughs> and you just know that you're not going to see it again for a while. Yeah. You know, it's just got, oh, it's just a great, it's a great butt. It's a great moment. I don't even pay attention to women's butts. I just. Really? I don't know. They just don't really. I think maybe because I have a butt, you know, I'm a Puerto yeah. Rican woman. I've got hips and a butt and I just yeah. feel like. Eh, I can that's respect how that. I think of butts. Not everybody needs to be a butt person. I would encourage you to go back and just revisit Burke's butt, not just okay. so you can know that I appreciate it. Okay. And, and see if you see anything. I'd be curious to know. I'll pay attention to the contour of his pants yeah. and, and I'll report back. Great. Perfect. I look forward to catching up about it. <laughs> so Burke. Oh, oh yeah. Sorry. Anyway, it's, I was thinking about butts. Yeah. Megan's like, well, I gotta go. <laughs> that's, that's, See you next week. <laughs> so I was interested, you know, in sort of this whole debate over whether or not Yang was obligated to tell Burke about the pregnancy. And Burke mm. certainly seems to think that she should have told him. And I'm sort of conflicted about this. And it's it's a conflict that I think I, I say I'm more conflicted than I actually am because I don't want to insult like mm -hmm. men as a population but at the same time like I really genuinely feel it's a woman's body and and that's just kind of the end of it you know like I yeah I'm always gonna side with the woman on that you know <laughs> yeah you know I think that's a really I, I really appreciated your question because I think that it's something that I subconsciously think about with this particular episode or any time an abortion or an abortion conversation is portrayed in, in tv but I have to agree with you, but I think that the reason that I do is because I consider, I don't consider the life form inside of Yang as a baby. I consider right. it a fetus, right? And that comes down on my political, like my, not political, but my values as a female and how I look at pregnancy and how I look at like that as conception yeah. in general. And so it's very hard for me to look at Yang's situation and say look at her pregnancy and say that that was a, a baby that Burke had a right to right and I don't I agree that I don't mean to be insulting to to people who feel differently than that I understand that people do and that that's a reality for many 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 people in the world but me personally and especially I think through the lens that you pointed out of given their relationship at this time given how Burke treated her as a female leading up to this point it's really hard for me to think that he had a full right to know about about something that was happening really exclusively inside her body. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I'm 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 trying to be politically correct about <laughs> about my language, but I, I don't know. No, I think I, that I appreciate that. And I think, you know, listeners will too. But yeah, I think in this particular case, my support comes almost entirely from the fact that they don't have you know, a committed relationship of any kind. So it doesn't make sense to me that Burke would be a part of this decision because it's not like they're making any other decisions together. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's not different change. when you have a life with someone and, right. you know, then they're not even together. I still think if the woman wants to abort, then that's the end of the discussion. But like, I think there should at that point be a discussion, I guess. <laughs> right. No, I, I, I totally agree. And, and his input was not going to change what she was going to do. No, no. You know, she had made a decision for her, for her body, for her life, for her career. And, and anything that Burke was going to say about it was not going to change 
was not going to change that for her. It was just going to cloud a decision that she had already completely within her own right made. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think he's I think he's over overstepping bounds a little bit. Like I can understand his his pain and his hurt over the issue, but he also did just unilaterally end their right. relationship Once a couple again. of episodes ago. So if she decides all by herself that she's going to have an abortion, I don't really ha- think that he has a leg to stand on when it comes to that decision. I agree. And I think that something I really appreciate about how they handle that in this particular episode is a greater, a small example of a greater thing that this show does very well, right? That if you or I were politically very conservative or felt very differently about a woman's right to choose or something like that, this would be a very different conversation, right? We happen to be a very similar mind when it comes to this kind of thing, which I, of course, think is wonderful. But if we were different, (laughs) I think that we would still have a sort of interesting conversation about this, right? I think that the show does a really great job of really leaving us in the weeds with it. You know, they don't ever come down and say, Christina was 100% right or Burke was 100% right. I think that they really leave leave us to sort of sit in it and apply your own lens to the situation. Yeah. And I, 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 to this day, still, even in the most recent episodes, really appreciate that Shonda has really stuck to that in this show that it it just totally leaves you in the gray area and there's no nothing is cut and dry yeah I think that's very very true and I think even more impressive is that is that it doesn't come off as equivocating Mm. which it so easily could Mm -hmm. you know like we're just gonna supply a non-answer because we don't want to be politically charged and I think instead they just provide you know two or more oftentimes equally viable sort of options. And then the audience can kind of just parse, parse that however they want to, you know, via yeah. whatever lens they use when it comes to politics or faith and or whatever. Exactly. And it is politically charged, mm-hmm. right? Instead of sucking the politics out of it, they pump it into it and leave you there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's wonderful. I think that's a really admirable way to run a tv program that with a huge following i agree i definitely agree we'll end the christina and burke on just saying that i'm very much looking forward to where their relationship goes next i think that this episode leaves us very much on sort of a a mini cliffhanger of what the hell is going to happen to them next yeah so yeah. i'm looking but a surprisingly to sweet it. cliffhanger for a change yeah. <laughs> exactly that's what i love about it, is that you think okay well she's just gonna leave him hanging out to dry and then when he comes in and she clearly responds to his sweetness you're kind of left with a, oh, like, could there still be something there? Is there still something there? How is she feeling? I don't know. It's great. So I'm looking forward to talking about seeing their relationship unfold a little bit more. Yeah. Should we talk a little bit about (laughs) the train wreck with three cars on it? Yeah. Derek, Addison, and Meredith. (laughs) Also, spoilers, I think that's a later episode. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, Derek... Addison and Meredith, or damn, which is what I said a lot in this episode. <laughs> damn. Do you want to walk us through a little bit what's what's happening between the three of them in this episode? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear that Addison still wants to save the marriage in as much as she thinks and believes truly that it could be saved. Derek is still pretty resistant to that, but seems a little bit less obstinate. A little bit less obstinate. But he still refers to her you know, juvenilely as Satan, etc. Mm-hmm. He's just annoying. Um, he also describes her as an adulterous bitch at one point <laughs> to her face. I wasn't even mad about it because it was, it was. It's like a, it's like a slap in the face that feels a little good. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's just and so shocking. Oh, wow. And I had literally just moments before described Addison as being, savage as fuck and Derek was like why don't you stop being an adulterous bitch and I was like that's the definition of savage actually yeah stop being being an adulterous bitch they just really just dish it out to each other in this episode and I think that it's really clear that their volcano is erupting right that it's been sort of bubbling 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 and it finally spills over and at the end of the episode we're left with sort of the lava settling Mm-hmm. Right. And thinking, oh, they, so I, I don't you can continue to sort of explain what's happening. But I think that that's sort of it needed to erupt like that. Yeah. And it's very shocking to see them say those words to each other, especially when we have Derek painted as such a, you know, charmer. Yes. But but it's I don't know. It, it's 
Oh, it's tough to watch. It is. It's really hard to watch, and because they they are just being brutal with each other, and they all have you know they all have pretty valid points. Even Derek, who I'm totally fed up with, he has every right to be pissed off at Addison and to not want to give her the time of day. You know, of course, she right. betrayed like the most significant trust of his life. That's huge. He has that right. So Addison, you know, I guess finally sort of recognizes that and serves him with divorce papers and says, look, all you need to do is sign. Mm -hmm. And I just think that anytime you see, anytime you actually see the divorce papers in a piece of media, you know, they're not going to be signed, you know, (laughs) like if they're just talked about, then then sure, like off camera, the divorce papers will be signed. But if you're actually looking at those documents, it's not going to happen. That's mm -mm. sorry. You made an awesome reference in your notes (laughs) that I which I think is anybody (laughs) our age made this connection. Right. That the first time you really understood this was in the film Sweet Home Alabama, (laughs) which is so true. Like that is so I can envision that scene so clearly in my brain space. That I just, I thought that it's my favorite reference you've ever made, which is saying something because you make a lot of ace references. <laughs> Thank you. But, whew, I'm so proud so, that that really hit home. That's so true. I just, Sweet it home. really did. It really did. That's exactly right. Yeah. So I, and that, that's the movie that really taught me, you know, that yes, <laughs> if they're making exactly. a big deal out of divorce papers, then they're not going to get signed and that's it, you know? Game and you over. know how that movie's going to end the second <laughs> you see those divorce papers, you know? <laughs> yes. And interestingly enough, <laughs> it's Patrick Dempsey. <laughs> that's so true. We didn't even make that. Who gets totally screwed over by yep. the unsigned divorce papers that's of exactly Sweet Home right. Alabama connection mm-hmm. so of course the the episode is kind of heavy-handed unsurprisingly heavy-handed what? in its treatment of this issue over whether Derek should forgive Addison and try again or whether he should move on and they kind of try to illustrate this with another patient who comes in and has been shot in the head but the bullet never exited it's just lodged <laughs> in his skull mm-hmm. like a James Bond villain and yeah. it's it's weird the connection they're trying to make here. Like, yeah. When we find out that it was the wife who shot the husband, he had been saying he shot himself while cleaning his gun. It's never the answer. But it's like they want the wife to be the victim or something. It's very, it's very victim blamey. I don't like it. It makes me really uncomfortable. Yep. Because yep. the, yep. the guy who got shot is like, I just feel terrible that I cheated on her. And it's like, sure, but that doesn't mean you deserve to get shot in the head, man. <laughs> that whole case, I just didn't write anything about because I don't care I about it. And it makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> and I don't know what they're trying to symbolize with no. it. And I just hate it. <laughs> what is the message here? It's like pro-abuse, seemingly. Yep. And yep. at one point, you know, they're in the operating room and and Alex is the one assisting Derek with the surgery to to remove the bullet. And Derek, you know, Alex is the is the normal sane person in this scene. And he's like, he's he's got to get out, you know. Right. And and Derek's like Derek says verbatim, sometimes the bullet's worth it. <laughs> I just <laughs> what is he talking about in that moment? Because the rest of us are talking about attempted murder and he's talking about his wife cheating on I don't know. Or Meredith oh, or no I just idea. don't it's I don't totally know who unclear. the bullet is in that situation because it's a failed metaphor yes. and that fucking dude's wife shot him in the head. Yes. And men so. and women out there everywhere in relationships the bullet is not ever worth it not ever so not ever what it's a good thing that she was arrested yes (laughs) she literally shot him really and that would just uh really bizarre and i don't like to play the game of like oh if you switched you know the genders of the people involved what would right. it be different? But I'm going to go ahead and play that card. And if the genders were switched and a man had shot his wife in the head and then the woman afterwards were like, I just can't believe I cheated on him. I made the worst <laughs> mistake of my life. The show would have been like canceled. You know, yep. <laughs> that's just crazy. It's yep. irresponsible and absurd. So... 
So the episode <laughs> ends with Meredith. Of course, of course, Derek asks her out for a drink. She thinks they're going on their first date now that Addison's leaving and he signed the papers. She's never Derek seen Sweet Home Alabama. Clearly, she has not seen her boyfriend star in Sweet Home Alabama. <laughs> she knocks his bag over. The divorce papers fall out. Meredith sees that he hasn't signed them. And it's like her heart breaks all over again. You know, it's like the two tiny stitches that were maybe sewn back together are just immediately ripped out. And you just see it happened to her all over again yeah and it's <laughs> and it's shitty and there's no words exchanged right she doesn't say i can't believe this is happening i can't believe you did this i can't believe you lied she just it just fades to black in the yeah most tragic you know gray's anatomy way possible <laughs> yep yep and it's just so painful this whole episode derek has been like all i have to do is sign and we're free I just have mm-hmm. to sign these papers. Just have to sign these papers. Yep. And she even gives him space to, you know, talk about to do his, <laughs> his, you know, confusion over the situation. Which, again, like, it's not crazy for Derek to feel conflicted at that point. I, like, no, I'm not, it's not faulting him for that. But he's so falsely confident with her that it's lying to her all over again. Yep. You know, she said, do you feel any hesitation? And he was like, no, of course not. We're going to be free. You know, that's yep. that's the fucked up part. Yes, that he has the opportunity and he's just the king of that. Right. Of the king yeah. of sort of going all in and then backing out. Yes. Going all in, backing out, going. And it's just <laughs> I mean, it's well. <laughs> <laughs> mm. you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I do. So but what I do think is true about his character is that as the show goes on, it is hard to trust him. Yes. It is hard to trust him, even in later seasons of of just trusting his whole heart, because we're just really built on this this foundation of lies with him. Mm-hmm. And it's really tough to believe even when he says he wants to move the world for whomever. It's it's really tough to believe that he's 100 percent in. And, and it's so hard because he's so charming. He's so attractive. He's so loving. And you just can't fully trust him. I think that he's a really good character. He's a well-written character in that way. Right, that you he you want he's he's designed to be so loved and so trusted, and you just can't do it. Yeah. All oh. right. Should we get into should we get into some bits here? Yeah, let's do the bits. Okay, I love it. So, song of the week, uh, Infinity. Right, yeah. Infinity by Merrick. It's a great. I that's think a great selection. I, I don't think that I, I you know, knew that. I don't think I knew this song beforehand. Do you know this song other yeah. outside of this song? Do you know this band? Not remotely. Yeah, I but it's a really you did. nice song. I assumed you no, were going to be didn't. like, yeah, Merrick was my jam. <laughs> no, not at all. I do like the Ben Lee song at the beginning, which is called Catch My Disease, which I just think is wonderful for the show. <laughs> <laughs> and again, is sort of that overly pop, the classic Grey's Anatomy, overly poppy during sad times. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but this Infinity song, after a really over-the-top episode with intense emotions, a lot of zingers, a lot of anger, is this very, very tender song. Yeah. That, I don't know, I just, it's very sad, it's very hopeless. Yeah. (laughs) Which is right up our alley. I think it's a really good pick. It, you know, it has that all-important end-of-episode placement, and it serves those, you know, closing scenes really well, particularly the moment with Derek and and Meredith. Yes. I often feel like they could play fucking Jingle Bells at the end of a Grey's Anatomy <laughs> episode with a good montage and I would vote for it for Song of the Week. And you would just, still just be like, oh, that man, really, really got me. Got to the point there. <laughs> got me to the quick. That's right. So, Infinity We're by very Mark. suggestible. We're very, very Jeremy, right? He's, yeah, just who, who we should feel worse about, but don't. I know. So, yeah. if you love Jeremy and are out there and felt sad about his death, yeah. tell us why. He's really cute, cute guy. Yeah, cute guy. Even despite yeah. his moist eyes. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> double uh, double seven. seven. George. I George. It's George. George. It's George. <laughs> he loses Ellis again. They're just recycling his storyline. I'm sorry, George. It's hard to get 007 when you don't even actually practice. I know. It's, you know, truly impressive. And I don't think this is the first week that we've given it to George, despite not practicing any No, because we definitely gave it to him last week, too. 
like I just she's a post-op patient with Alzheimer's you know yeah she's not that agile like how do you lose her <laughs> are you kidding me right I I will say that giving 007 again to George and with with your sort of with your words about George this week and the chief sort of taking advantage of George and and doing him disservices in terms of his medical career. I am looking forward to some sort of change in the story arc of George. Yeah. You know, I do. I love to hate George as much as the next guy, but I do. I am looking forward to some sort of, of, you know, uptick in his story arc, whether that's him getting worse, whether that's him getting better, whether that's him, proving that he actually knows how to practice medicine. I think that I'm getting a little bit tired of his just sort of emotional presence in the background. So I will say that I will give it to George, but I am very hopeful that in coming episodes, he'll, uh, he'll get something. Yeah. I said that um, I'm still giving it to George. I'm standing by that choice, but I said that Bailey had a strong case here too, Mm. because she was negligent regarding two key parts of her patient's wishes. One being he, he wanted or questioned whether he should call his family and she didn't give him, um, good professional advice. And she failed him in that way. And number two, he specifically signed a do not resuscitate. He did not want extreme measures taken to save his life. And she neglected that in the operating room when it was pretty clear that he was gone. And that's totally inappropriate. Her interns have done it before. I understand that this is a melodrama. So the DNR is pretty much disregarded at the end of every other episode. But still, that's two strikes, Bailey. You, it's claim, a you came bit, really close to being struck out this episode. I will draw a, a parallel here that a DNR is a little bit like divorce papers, where if they bring up a DNR in Grey's Anatomy, you know they will not respect it. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, yes. if someone says, oh, they have a DNR, you immediately know that they're going to try and resuscitate that patient. <laughs> yes. So yes. from now on, that's a little pro tip for all you newbie watchers out there, that if they talk about a DNR, you can rest assured they will not respect it. That's so good. You need to write, like, an official guide to watching Grey's Anatomy. It's like a cheat sheet, right? Yes. If you see divorce papers... They won't be signed. If you see a DNR, it won't be respected. If someone says, I love you, they're probably married. (laughs) If someone says, this is the best day of my life, they're probably going to die soon. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Excellent point. Maybe we'll develop some sort of cheat sheet for this show at some point, but DNR papers. We should develop a cheat sheet. We should also develop a drinking game at some point. I think that would be good. Oh, yeah. 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 (laughs) <laughs> we, I am really here for that. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, we're both really invested in that. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Chief resident. I mean, personally, I would vote for Burke's ass as chief resident of the week. I but would. I understand that it Burke's did good ass, work this week. It really did. I think that really it helped a lot of people out there. Especially Yang at the end. I uh, think but it especially was his Yang. butt that really brought her so. around. Um, but as a doctor, not in and of itself, I would then give chief resident to Yang yeah. because she solved the Munchausen's case of Elizabeth Jane mm-hmm. while still in recovery herself <laughs> in the next room. I'm sorry. You know, what? Elizabeth. honestly, Elizabeth Jane works, too. <laughs> it would have been funnier if we gave her a different typical white girl name throughout the whole episode. <laughs> Damn it. That would have been funnier. <laughs> We're going to get better at this. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> but I, for me, I think that Yang really, I mean, she, I have a moment in this episode where I just see my heart is almost exploding with, with joy for what a good Dr. Yang is. Yeah. I think that I almost see her as if my sister teaches gifted children and she does a lot of research about gifted children and sort of gifted children are not. <laughs> You don't necessarily want a gifted child because they are, it's so difficult to satisfy them and it's so difficult to give them sort of a fulfilling life because they're so bright in so many different kinds of ways. So I see a moment in this episode where you see that Yang has been the smartest person in the room for her entire life and she is constantly waiting for her age and experience to catch up with her so that she can get the respect of her peers and supervisors, right? So we have in this particular case, in this episode, where she has solved the case while she is sick, (laughs) while she is emotionally unwell, while she has a fever, and while she is running away from her insane mother. And she solves a case because she is so smart. 
mm-hmm. you know, and nobody listens to her and nobody respects her partially because she's sick, partially because she's young, partially because she's an intern, you know, sort of all of these things against her. And it makes me so excited for a few seasons down the road when she works her way up the surgical ladder to finally get that respect of, of, of people sort of allowing her to be the brilliant surgeon she is. Yeah. You know, yeah. does that make sense? Instead of constantly trying to rein in that brilliance. Yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. And so I just feel like when I see her solve this case, it just makes me so happy that she does it. You know, I like <laughs> just feel so her breakdown. <laughs> yeah, I do. I feel really proud of her. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It's going to be it's hard to watch her now because you just want her to be able to go out there and just do it, do all of the things, you know, she can do. And at the yes. same time, I do respect that she thinks she knows everything and she doesn't. And so it feels like at some point that's probably going to bite her in the ass. This, yeah, this sort of probably. overconfidence that she <laughs> yeah. experiences. But, Don't get me wrong. Yeah. She can be overconfidence as all or overconfident as all hell. But I, I just uh, I just love her. She's so fucking smart. <laughs> and I just love it. I love it. So she's my vote. Yeah, sorry. She was tangent over. Yeah, she was my vote as well. So I just I let you run. Mm. I let you run with that. Thanks, <laughs> Karev of the week. I mean, go, who's your vote? <laughs> okay, so I said that Burke in the tan turtleneck and cream suit jacket and dark brown <laughs> slacks. <laughs> Made him the crab of the week. <laughs> like he didn't do anything wrong, but he looked like. But a real that asshole. outfit. <laughs> he looked like makes him a nineties villain. <laughs> he did. So I'm just responding to that, you know, like responding. Oh well, to he his... must be the villain of the episode because he certainly looked like one. So, <laughs> and you know what? The thing about Burke's outfit is that not only are the colors truly offensive. But Isaiah Washington, as previously discussed in this episode, is a beautiful man. You know, like mm-hmm. his physique, his face, you could cut cheese on his cheekbones. You know, like his he's a butt. chiseled person. His butt, like the whole nine yards. And they manage to give him clothes that do not fit him properly. No. And there is mm-hmm. nothing worse. There's a lot of things worse, but there's <laughs> nothing worse than a man in clothes that don't fit. As a woman who is constantly trying to search for clothes that fit her properly, it is so frustrating to see men in the world who cannot be bothered to find clothes that fit them because it is very easy. Yes. Yeah. And it's a you lot know, easier like, for them. There's like four builds of dudes in the world. Yeah. You I know? was just going to say there's way less variance, right? Yes. <laughs> Versus women, there's infinite variance. Yeah. And so the fact that they are forcing Isaiah Washington to wear ugly brown clothes that don't fit is that just That are a decade out of style. Yes. It's not right. Yes. It's not right. It's not it's 1995. Not right. It's 2005. It's absurd that he's wearing these things. 1995 really is. That's the year. You're and they're really dressing him. That. The other issue here, and I, I feel like this could be offensive. I could cut it if you think so. But they're dressing him like a white man, and I think it's right? that is offensive to me. <laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> like a white and, and, dad. <laughs> Why? Yes. Yes. In exclusively beige tones. Yes. A white dad <laughs> like from a the 90s. Insurance commercial in 1995 for white yes. people. <laughs> it's a really big insult to Isaiah Washington, <laughs> in my opinion. Anyway. I also think that Derek earns Karev of the Week as the continual federal Karev of the Week. He drags Meredith along in this episode. And Mm -hmm. and again, I I hear what you're saying. I do understand that he's confused, but I think he drags her along in a way that is asshole-ish. It's cruel. It's totally cruel. cruel. It's cruel. That's a better choice of vocabulary you can, than asshole. You can feel conflicted and, and feel confused and and not, you know, like spiritually and emotionally rob the person you're seeing, you know? Like yes. there's there's a way to do that and he's not doing it because yep. he wants to make it seem like he's got it all figured out. I don't know. He was just an idiot. He's talking yep. to the wrong people. He's talking to Bailey about his feelings. It's like, you know, what the hell does Bailey care about your mistress and your wife? You know, talk to Meredith about it. Talk to Addison about it. Talk to the people who are actually yeah. involved in this relationship. See a freaking therapist. Like, yep. 
Yeah. Stop talking to inappropriate people about it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Line of the week. I mean, I love the moment. I think that we actually maybe both had the two same moments. <laughs> we were really on par with each other this week. Um, I love Bailey's entire monologue with Derek in the elevator. I think that it's great. And she just rips him a new one, which is not the first time that she's dropped a huge truth bomb to Derek in the elevator. And it becomes sort of a bit that happens frequently in this show, right? <laughs> yes. For Sometimes it's more sentimental. Sometimes it's more, you aggressive. know, sarcastic, <laughs> aggressive. Exactly. But it's, I, I love the monologue. I think she really essentially, she calls him stupid, you know? <laughs> which is just everybody in that moment. You know, so it's, it's, I love her monologue. I deserve that. It's, it's just, it's in love. You have put yourself between two very fine women and you're looking for an easy way out. You want to use me, hospital it, somebody to make the decision for you and it's not going to happen. If I pick one line of the week, it goes to when Christina is having her full blown breakdown and she's literally screaming, crying. <laughs> and she, she screams, somebody's and it's so great. Everybody, I just, I love it. Especially based on our conversation about crying last week. When she asked to be sedated in that moment, is like, yes, that's an excellent <laughs> solution to this problem. <laughs> yes, that is how we feel every time we find ourselves crying. <laughs> so, exactly. Exactly. Solidarity. So, right. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I think so. the somebody sedate me line is great, both in, in the way she performs it and just that that's her solution <laughs> in the yeah. first place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I so great. my line is actually not from the elevator monologue. It's oh, from really? the pre-credit sequence in Joe's bar when Derek oh. sits down next to Bailey, who's enjoying a drink and looks already mad. That's like right. she's she's mad and he's not even there yet. <laughs> yes. So why Derek would have the compulsion to like pull up a stool and and bare his soul is totally beyond me. Dude can't read people. No. And Bailey's only response to him i swear to god the only thing she says to him is you so damn stupid i forgot that that's where that line was from oh it's so good <laughs> and then we go to the opening credits yes i yes. love it <laughs> that's right oh it's a she great doesn't even, moment like, justify why he's stupid no she's just like you're an idiot leave me alone we all know <laughs> joe knows yes. derek knows miranda knows which, by the way, Joe got a haircut. I don't know if you he noticed did. it, but looks his hair so looks much better. Much better. Oh my much god! Much better. It's a sign much that he's going to become a recurring character. They took That's care right. of his hair. Investment. Investment. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's what we like to see. <laughs> Oh man, I think that I that's, think that's our episode. We ran nice and long. We did. We did run long. There's some oops. There's some cuttable shit in there. <laughs> yes. I think like maybe having having a bunch of alcohol during the day and then recording was <laughs> partly the issue. <laughs> it's conducive to banter and yeah. ranting. Liquid courage. That's right. That's right. All right, well, uh. thanks again for listening. And as always, you can check us out on Tumblr at code-grays.tumblr.com. Please follow us on Twitter, where you can find us at code underscore grays underscore. We've been uh, making some real strides on Twitter. Right. And you can listen to us on Podbean, which is also our fantastic host for the show. And you can also find us on iTunes. If you do listen on iTunes, we'd love it if you would rate us. Give us five stars. We're really funny and deserve them. And uh, that's our show. Thanks so much. See you next week. There's only three things left now.